we woke up on the morning of the 5th. It was quite a nice morning. We got all our bits together and marched smartly down South Parade. Well, we went down South Parade, carrying all our bits and pieces. Now, you've got to remember that about 10 days, two weeks before, I'd been segregated from my commando, and they'd got my bag with all my kit, my change of clothing, and every other bit and piece. The only thing I'd got was what I could wear. But I had a special thing known as an assault waistcoat. An assault waistcoat was just a canvas waistcoat that did up a belt in the middle, and it had a pocket in every single bit and piece you could find. And in there, you put everything you could find, including a little pack built in the back. But that had to last us until we met up with the commando sometime in the future. So we marched down the pier to South Parade. I don't know whether you know Portsmouth, anybody, but it's a very nice pier at South Parade. At the end of the pier was a thing known as an LCI, Landing Craft Inventory, and it had been converted into a headquarters ship where the headquarter officer, who was a Brigadier General, in charge of the actual assault on Sword Beach. We were going to land on Sword Beach. There she is. See the bit of red? That was us. Sword Beach Red was where we were landing. Right alongside the River Orne and the Orne Canal. The only thing between us and the enemy were the paratroopers who'd landed. So we went on board and then we sailed. And as we sailed, we could see the hundreds and hundreds of landing craft, all crammed with troopers and crews, all moored up and down the river. And there they'd been, some of them, for a week or more. And we'd gone straight on board and sailed. We felt very honoured. So we sailed out, head of the column. I don't remember too much about it. I remember it was an extremely nice night when we sailed out. There was a little bit of a lop. And fortunately, we were in a flat-bottomed boat, so we rolled, as usual, and then people were seasick. I'm very glad to say I was not, and uh, we headed in the direction of our beach. <coughs> Lovely night, big moon, not too much wind, little fluffy clouds. I remember, as it got darker, seeing aircraft by the thousand flying over, obviously going to bomb the beach, and then eventually... Over went the gliders that were going to land on what later became Pegasus Bridge. Now, Pegasus Bridge actually is quite a story in itself, you know. I don't know whether any of you saw the film The Longest Day. They show you a very good film of them landing at Pegasus Beach, right up touching the wire. And the colonel in charge leaps out and dashes in. And that was played by a gentleman called Todd, Richard Todd. He was the colonel in the film. But Richard Todd was actually a lieutenant in one of those gliders when they came down. So he really did know about it. So that was the night as we came along. About four in the morning, we were approaching, we assumed, our beach. Incidentally, we could look ahead and see little boats way up in front of us. They were obviously minesweepers. And in front of those, we were told, were patrol boats. So we had the best view of the lot. Four o'clock in the morning, we arrived, we think, at our destination. We now know that there was a midget submarine marked there. It had been there for two days, marking the beach. But the brigadier wanted to have a better look, so he went a bit closer in 
the tide went out a quarter of a mile and this was low water. So there was a bit of a bump and we went aground. So after a great deal of struggling and heaving, we eventually got off. We didn't wake the Germans up. They everyone went on sleeping. We later learnt that they had no idea we were going to come. They thought the weather was far too bad. And even their general had gone off to see his wife for her birthday. So they obviously didn't expect us. And so we were there. Now, as the dawn came up, and it didn't come up till about six o'clock, we were on double summer time, so it got late, dark very late, and it got early very late. So about six o'clock in the morning, you began to see daylight, other landing craft, hundreds of them all around the place, small landing craft being lowered, lines and lines and lines of craft everywhere you could see were landing craft. Alongside us were LCTs, with things called floating tanks. This was their special thing. They'd invented tanks that could float. They put up a ribbon of canvas all the way round, and they very slowly went into the water, and as long as there wasn't too much of a lop, they could make it ashore. An awful lot didn't. And actually, right alongside us, one came in, and its first tank to go off had damaged the canvas, and it couldn't go any further. So we went in and ran onto the beach and let them go, which was very good from our point of view. Anyway, cutting a long story short, just as we were about to go in, the, or the guns had had a jolly good go, they'd blasted, all the big guns had blasted the beach everywhere, and guns were coming the other way. They had, had got some, there was no doubt about it. And then another lot of landing craft went in towards the beach, and they were full of rockets, little rockets, and they blasted up and down the beach, taking away the barbed wire and the mines. And then we went in. We dropped our frogman off on the way in, and we headed into this lonely beach, right alongside this LCT that had gone in first. So we got out safely. After all the training, we jumped off this as an LCP, landing craft personnel, very like an ordinary motorboat, actually. We jumped off the bow onto dry sand. I'd been training for two years to land on a wet beach and I landed on the dry sand. Such is life. Then we picked up all our bits. We, we, my AB and myself, had a nine foot sign, a roll, big coal, a coil of quite decent rope, his rifle, all your bits and pieces and we ran up the beach looking for somewhere to hide if we possibly could before we got shot to bits. We dropped down behind a little runnel of sand, scooped out a scoop very quickly with an entrenching tool on your stomach and decided to put our sign up. Up our sign went. And then we learned a fact that's maybe rather obvious that if you want to tell the enemy where you are on a flat beach, put up a nine-foot sign. <laughs> Be sure to know. So there was a big rat of machine guns and down came the sign. We scrambled the bits together and... We put up another sign. It was a bit shorter than the first one, and that lasted about as long, and that one was blown down. I can remember saying to my able seaman, something very polite, like, damn it, we're too late anyway. And unfortunately, he didn't listen. He leant out and got the sign. Unfortunately, so did the machine gunner. And he didn't make it. I called to the next two, the other two on the other sign, they informed me that the other officer there had been shot. I later found he had a broken arm and a bullet in his leg. He survived. 
I got a bit annoyed at this. We've got to go down to the beach officially to help the Lennycraft. And there were machine guns there in this pillbox. But he'd stop firing. Now we were told that when they stop firing, it's either because he's tired or he's changing the, the belt on his machine gun. I hoped it was the belt on the machine gun. So I leapt up, swung round in a circle, dashed along to the pillbox, popped a hand grenade through the slit trend, slit in the pillbox, and carried on down to the beach with the other able seamen. Not very much two can do, but you can tell them where to go, which is up that way. Now after a little while, in came ducks. Ducks were huge, I suppose you call them floating lorries. They were specially made to float on water, and they contained some very important things, like the rest of my commando and my boss, who was a little surprised to see I was still there, I was glad to say. And so we formed up to do what we were supposed to do. We moved right down the beach, as far as you could go, towards the River Orne, and put up our end of the big sign, and started going out, helping landing craft come in. Unfortunately, the tide was going out, and you were able to see the mess left behind. The worst part was the Germans had built lines and lines of barbed wire just under the water. So when people jumped out of landing craft to wade ashore, they'd come across barbed wire. If you don't like water and you're afraid of it and you want to get on, it's not the best thing to happen. There were a lot of dead people on the barbed wire. But there were broken down boats, there were tanks sunk, there were boats on top of boats, there was everything you could think of and lots of dead people all around the place. It was very unpleasant. But 19 and a half... The big adventure, you don't have time to worry about that. You were supposed to get on with your job. Now, I hadn't sent, but I was supposed to be an expert in explosives, and I'd done a special course in mine clearance. So I took two able seamen, and off we went around working with the engineers in clearing the obstacles, which had mines on the top and detonators in them, and that's what I did for most of my time in that early period. Right, sometime during the morning, Lord Lovell went through with all his men. Not at our particular beach. I didn't have the honour of raising my hat to him. But the French commando came through. The French commando job was to capture Wistham, which was the town just round the corner. They went over behind the sand dunes. There was bog area, reeds, lots and lots of reeds. The Germans had cut trenches in the reeds and put machine guns down the far end so that when the people ran up the open spaces they just got machine gun. And we were told that the whole of the French commando was wiped out. Now we'd been given a young officer named Wawel to act as an interpreter and agent, helpman. And I said to Raoul, did you know any of them, Raoul? And he looked very quietly and said, Oh yes, the colonel was my father. But he got on just the same. Incidentally, the French commando didn't all get wiped out. They did capture Wiestrom and the colonel did survive. Then later in the afternoon, they decided to have a look further down the beach. What there was down there. So a major came and he put together a a small team of men, and we crawled down the sand dunes, and after we'd gone a certain distance, he said, well, go and have a look 
what's on the other side. So we crawled through the sand dunes and we looked over and there were people facing the wrong way with funny tin hats on. So we turned around and scarped back very quickly in our direction. And on the strength of what we told them, they went in and shot them up with guns and machine guns and we had a much quieter night. So we worked right through the day, right into the evening, and just as it was nicely dark, somebody turned up and said, right, now you've got to man the defence perimeter. We were expecting the German counter-attack to take place. And so we got up and manned the perimeter. Most of us hadn't slept for two days. We were getting a bit weary. We hadn't eaten much either, as a matter of fact. And that at 19 and a half is very important. But uh, we manned it. We usually did one and one. Two people up, one sleep, and the other case awake. And they didn't come. We did have a quiet night. And so it went on. Day, quietly, after day. Going out. Some of the things that happened, they decided that they hadn't captured the city of Khan as quickly as they expected. And so they brought more troops in. And they came in in LCIs, which for us was hard work. We have to go out and man them and help them come ashore all the time, all these young men who come down. Now, when you're on an LCI, you come in on the beach, on the nice flat beach. Flat beaches are not flat. They have bumps in them, blown up by the waves and the air. And the craft come in and they ride up on the bump, the bow in the air, and they had walkways down either side of the bow. And there's always deeper water just on the other side of the rudder. So instead of coming down into about four foot of nice water, they were coming down into about six foot of water. Now, if you don't like water and you're petrified of sea and you've just got the enemy over there, <coughs> it's not a good thing to be covered in water. They invariably came down, panicked, dropped the rifle. They had a May West round their waist, a pack on their back. So the obvious thing is you turn upside down and you have to go and cut the pack off to get them to the surface. It did become quite hard work. That went on for three days. Also, we had a little thing I haven't mentioned. Although all the guns were wiped out, they kept one particular little gun working. It was a thing we would have called a priest, which was a howitzer gun, which is a short-barreled gun, on a tank chassis, so it can move. And it lived in a cave in the other side of the River Orne. And every time something happened, it used to pop out and fire off a few shells. Out in the harbour, there was a destroyer waiting for just that moment, but he'd always just turned away, so that he had to turn back. And he got rid of five shells and skittled back into his hole in, in the hillside. And I tell you, that was bombed and shelled and skip-bombed, and everything you can do to that gun was done. The day we left, which was a month later, he was still firing shells at us, so we never made it. Every time we did something, he'd come out and fire, and it made things a little bit unpleasant. So we went on. There were some terrible things we had to do. We had to go aboard all the major landing craft and remove everything of value, including the English rum ration. Unfortunately, I don't like rum, but a lot of other people did. We did a lot of small things. As the weather got better, I borrowed a motorcycle and toured around the back blocks buying eggs and cheese and generally enjoying life. 
It wasn't too bad at all. I'll cut it all short because we're running out of time. Now, we've been there about three weeks. All was quietening down nicely. Daily routine was settling nicely in. And suddenly, the one thing we'd never heard was an aircraft siren went off. We hadn't seen an aircraft from D-Day. And there was this one little aircraft flying overhead with one bomb dambling down and every aircraft, anti-aircraft gun in the area, plus a few that weren't, let go immediately and we saw the wing fall off and down he came. Now I mentioned we'd met up with our beach group. The beach group's main job was to provide stores, look after the stores. And they had built mountains of stores, mountains of petrol in jerry cans, mountains of water, because you couldn't drink the local water, mountains of every single thing you can think of, arms of every kind, ammunition of every kind, was all there. And down came this little aircraft and landed in the petrol. And his bomb landed in the ammunition. And there was one very large bang. And when it stopped banging, we hadn't got anything. How do we supply those blokes fighting up the road? Well, they decided very quickly that you can do without something like food and first aid equipment and so on and so forth, but you have to have petrol, ammunition and water. Water was fairly easy. It was in jerry cans. Immediately ships came in close to the shore, dropped them over the side, and our job was to go out, they float, our job was to go out, pull them in, and mount them up into a little mountain. Petrol. They'd started laying a pipeline from the Isle of Wight to the beach just up from us, and it, this was just three weeks. It was two days of being connected. It was connected two days later, and we saw petrol running out of it, called Pluto, Operation Paluto. Absolutely fantastic. But ammunition, not so good. You can't just unload a few boxes of ammunition in five minutes. So the general decided the only thing to do was to bring in a little ship full of ammunition and beach it. And then as the tide went out, ordinary lorries could go alongside and they could load straight in to the lorries. So next morning, in came a thing called a Scottish coaster. They are not flat bottomed, but they're that way because they do beach in Scottish locks. In it came, piled to the eyebrows with boxes and boxes of ammunition on the upper deck, beached there on the beach, out went the stevedores in their duck, prepared to unload and got things going. But nobody had told the captain about the gun. Out came the gun, five quick shots, two below waterline, three above the waterline. Fortunately, those below the waterline within the engine room are not the hold, and those on the upper deck said everything burning away merrily. It was like firework day. All those little beautiful things firing there were red-hot little bullets over a large area. Then somebody turned round to the general and said, Sir, in the bottom of that ship are 250-ton bombs. Or aircraft. When the fire gets down to them, there is going to be a very big bang and everything within a mile is going to be flattened. 
So he gave the word, the whole beach is to be cleared immediately. And he said immediately, and people dropped and ran, one mile at least. Except for stupid Jim Speed, of course. Because, you see, not all the stevedores had jumped over the side. Some of them couldn't swim. And they'd gone down to the back end, dropped over, landed on the propeller and the rudder under a bit of shelter and sat there as the fire got closer. Now, we had to go to try to get out to them, but it was impossible. The uh, amount of fire that was going around, of ammunition going up. As I stood there wondering what the heck one does when you can't do anything, but I felt a hand on my shoulder, and there was the CO of the next unit, Goritz, who I mentioned. He's around here somewhere. Lieutenant Commander Goritz. He said, what's the matter? And I showed him the situation, and he said, well, we need a boat. Yeah, but we don't have a boat. But we do have an amphibious jeep. I had an amphibious jeep. And I went up and manned my amphibious jeep and drove it down. Now, amphibious jeeps are just a jeep with a frame around the outside, a propeller and a rudder. And if you put it in the water, as long as there's no waves, it's all right. Well, Guritz got on board and out we went, well clear of the explosions until we got level with the stern. And then he said, right, here we go. And we turned in. All we had for protection was our tin hats. I'm not too sure about the exact way things occurred. All I can tell you is that either going in or coming out, I got hit in the right arm. I've got a white mark to show that. I got coming out, I got hit on the leg. I've got another one down there. But Guritz got a shell through his helmet. And it was very badly treated. He received a very bad skull injury, which he does mention in his write-up. So I went in, picked up the only two stevedores left there, and we could just get them on board, having warned them what happens if they move, and we headed back out. We eventually got to the beach. We were making a bit of water from holes in the little craft, one thing and another. As soon as we arrived on the beach, down came an ambulance and picked up the three men and shot off, and I was left with the jeep. Then the Major arrived and said, the General's in the big hut up there, he wants to see you, so I went up and met the General. Having met him, I decided I might as well go to sleep where I was in my own slit trench, which I'm sure was better than anything else, so I stayed on the beach. When I woke up next morning, it hadn't blown up. The tide had come in and flooded through the holes and had put the bombs out of action but it was still smoking. So down came a jeep, picked me up, took me back to the camp, to the boss. They were in a thing known as a rest camp. We stayed there one night, and then he said, right, we've got to go back down to the beach to run it overnight, all the lights and all the bits and pieces, and uh, then you will come back again. So I went down for two days. First day was very quiet. We did our run round and did our things. And by day, we had army. At night, once again, all right, until about midnight. And then they'd obviously brought up extra guns and they started a heavy shelling, which I duly reported. But my petty officer and one had left there somewhere and he didn't come back. So I thought I'd better go and find him. So I went out looking for him. 
Unfortunately, the shelling was going on. Shells come down in sand and they go in and then they explode up in the air. Well, when it went up in the air, I went up with it. And I came down and damaged my ribs. I broke three of them, as a matter of fact. I managed to scrap myself together, eventually found my petty officer and returned to base. Next day, we returned back to the camp and I was taken to the first aid post where they did the inevitable cure for that injury. They put a large piece of a plast pass right round your middle. And when I said, how do I get it off? They said, oh, we'll just pull it off when the time comes. Anyway, that's it, more or less. We lasted another day, and they eventually said, you're closing the beach, we're sending you back to England. So we got on the bus, went down to Mulberry Harbour, got on board a ship uh, over to Portsmouth, and as we mustered on the wharf, the captain made the inevitable little speech, His last words were, you can thank God you've made it. And I think we could. I just want you to remember, there were 11 officers in the commando, not just Jim Speed. They must have done something. I don't know what, but they must have done something. Incidentally, I was awarded a Distinguished Service Cross for my actions on the beach of Normandy. Thank you very much.